about to listen to a sermon from Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church. As a church, we want to see whole communities captivated by Jesus Christ and living out His freedom. We're going to turn to God's Word now for tonight's Bible reading. Um, There's only one, but it's quite long. Starts at chapter 4, verse 32, and goes through to chapter 6, verse 7. You can find it on page 1081. Well, the start of it anyway. Acts 4, verse 32. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them all. There were no needy persons among them, for from time to time those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone as he had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied to men, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then the young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, Tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. Peter said to her, How could you agree to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, The feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in and, finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. The apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders among the people, and all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. As a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by evil spirits, and all of them were healed." Then the high priest and all his associates, who were members of the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. 
Go, stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people the full message of this new life. At daybreak, they entered the temple courts as they had been told and began to teach the people. When the high priest and his associates arrived, they called together the Sanhedrin, the full assembly of the elders of Israel, and sent to the jail for the apostles. But on arriving at the jail, the officers did not find them there. So they went back and reported, We found the jail securely locked, with the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. On hearing this report, the captain of the temple guard and the chief priests were puzzled, wondering what would come of this. Then someone came and said, Look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple courts teaching the people. At that, the captain went with his officers and brought the apostles. They did not use force because they feared that the people would stone them. Having brought the apostles, they made them appear before the Sanhedrin to to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, he said. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Peter and the other apostles replied, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus from the dead, whom you had killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and saviour, that he might give repentance and forgiveness of sins to Israel. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were furious and wanted to put them to death. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law who was honoured by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered that the men be put outside for a little while. Then he addressed them, Men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. Some time ago, Theodos appeared, claiming to be somebody, and about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed, all his followers were dispersed, and it all came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people in revolt. He too was killed and all his followers were scattered. Therefore, in the present case I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. His speech persuaded them. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers, choose seven men from among you who you know to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, 
Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Hi everyone. Wow, what a story. Woo! All those things happening. Wow. You know, churches can be really, really great places. Fantastic places, in fact. Uh, places where all kinds of dynamic things happen. But churches can also be kind of a bit challenging as well. And tonight, that's actually what we see. Church as a great place and church as a challenging place. Along the way, we will notice, we'll give four tips as to how to deal with church life, and we'll pray four prayers together. If you're someone who's uh, intending to be part of church for the rest of your life, well, these tips will be useful for you for the rest of your life. So write them down, four tips for the rest of your life and church. If you're someone, though, who's just exploring and kind of thinking about church life, what we'll introduce you to is the kind of ugliness of church life, but just also how brilliant it can be. And hopefully, you'll get some inkling of what it means to be captivated by Jesus Christ and to live out that freedom within the context of church life. Uh, For those of you who've been with us over the last few weeks, we've been looking at the the, um, Acts of the Apostles. And on this Pentecost Sunday, what we've seen is the Holy Spirit has arrived, a church has been formed, people have been doing all kinds of amazing things. And as we come to Acts chapter 4, verse 32, we see a summary of those kinds of things. Come with me to Acts chapter 4, verse 32. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and much grace was upon them all. What's extraordinary about this picture, I think, is that people are being generous with one another, not because they have to, but because they've been captivated by Jesus Christ and what he's done. Do you see that? The apostles were testifying to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and much grace was upon them. Their their generosity with one another is a result of understanding what God had done for them. Now in this particular instance, we go on to find out that that has expressed itself in people selling land and houses and giving to the needy. Uh, They don't have to do that. As the story unfolds, it becomes clear that it's only some people. So, for example, in verse 34, from time to time, those who owned owned lands and houses sold them. Now, not everybody owned um, land and houses, and so not everybody could sell them. Not everybody's involved. But a group of people had responded to this wonderful grace of God by generously selling their house or their land. It's a great picture of generosity. And actually, I think it's a great picture of generosity for any church. Uh, Just before, Meg presented us the budget. 
and where we're up to. Can you imagine these guys sitting there going, okay, what's the budget for the year? How can we meet that? They're not doing that, are they? They're saying, oh, wow, we can be generous. God has been so generous towards us. Let's work out how we can be generous towards other people. Now, of course, budgets are important. It's important to work out those things, and I'm really pleased we do that. But imagine if the way we determined our giving wasn't in terms of the budget that we set, but as a response to God's grace and work within our lives. Imagine if the reason we gave was because God had been so generous towards us. Now, maybe we might use the budget as a guide, but actually, these guys are selling houses and land. Now, I suspect some of you don't have houses or land, or actually, many of you don't have houses or land. And so you might think, well, how does this actually apply to me at all? Well, the truth is, some of you will. Some of you will have houses and land, and some of you will invest in such a way or will have careers that will mean that you will actually have a number of houses and land. And I know a number of people who've actually thought about this and thought about the generosity that God has had towards them and then done something about it. I know of one man who said to me once, I earn an obscene amount of money. You wouldn't believe how much I earned per hour. Christian man, humble Christian man. And he said to me, I've worked out ways in which I can be generous with this money. Now, I know one of the ways he's been generous because I've stayed there. He bought a house in the mountains. He renovated this house. He renovated it beautifully. He put a study in it with all kinds of Christian books inside it. Why did he renovate this house? Why is the house able to take 24 people? Because he wanted to support Christian ministry. He wants people who go to the Christian Contumber Convention to have a place to stay. He wants ministers to be able to go up there and read God's word and study it. He wants small groups to come along and meet there. He's done that because he wants to see the promotion of the gospel. And he's used his resources in that way. Now, maybe one day you might be in that position. Maybe you won't, but maybe you might. Or take another two women that I know. A single woman, a nurse and a teacher. They decided one day they would move down the south coast. They bought acreage. On the acreage, they have a house. They had a small little bungalow. As they taught and nursed, they saved up money and built a third house on the property. Why were they doing this? Well, they actually wanted to support those who were in need. And so people who were finding life difficult could come and stay with them. They could support missionaries who are returning home and just needed a break on holidays. And they've continued that ministry for over 10 years. Or take another couple I know. They have two investment houses. The first investment house, they actually rent near a church. Sorry, they've actually bought near a church. And the reason they've bought it near a church is because they want to make it available to that church for their assistant ministers. And they charge cheap rent in order that that church can have an assistant minister. It's not their church, it's another church. But they've actually done that to support that church. The second investment property, they're actually working out at the moment whether they can use it for community housing. 
where they somehow help someone else in the community in need. You see what people do when, when God captures them, when, when, the, when Christ has captivated their lives and they're starting to think generously about what to do with it. Well, that's what's happening here as the people meet together. There's, there's a generosity breaking out to those in need, to those who need support. And it's because they've been captivated by Jesus Christ. And they're captivated by his grace and what he's done for them. It's the fruit of that captivation. Now, perhaps you can't do it in those ways. But let me give you a tip. As a person who is captivated by Jesus Christ and living out his freedom, live generously. Live generously. I have a prayer here. Have a read. And I'm going to invite you... Pray it with me in a minute. If that's something you can pray, I invite you to say it with me now. O Lord, giver of life and source of all freedom, we know that by your grace you have called us to be stewards of your abundance. Help us to always use your gifts wisely. Empower us by your Holy Spirit to share them generously. We pray with grateful hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, of course, that's a really great picture of the church. But there's some challenges, aren't there? And so we turn to the story of Ananias and Sapphira. They too have got in on the bandwagon. They've decided that they can sell property as well and and that's exactly what they do. But in this instance, they actually keep part of the money back for themselves. Now, at first, when you look at this story, you think, well, that seems fair enough. Like, why not? I mean, who cares where the money comes from? We get to spend it as a church. Hey! But of course, that's actually not the problem, is it? The problem, as we can see it in verse 3, is that they've lied to the Holy Spirit. In other words, they've said they're going to donate all their money to the needy and to those who are poor and to the church, but in actual fact, they've kept some of it back for themselves. You see it repeated again there in verse 4. You have not lied to men, but to God. Uh, What's also interesting to note about this in verse 9 is actually Satan has filled their heart. He's the father of all lies, the Bible tells us. And here, these guys have lied about their donation. They were wanting the honour and credit uh, in the community of being sacrificial givers, of being people who are like others. But in actual fact, their motivation was about themselves. It wasn't motivated by the grace of God. It was motivated by their own schemes and desires. It was kind of a, I guess if you'd say, a false piety. Look at us. We're we're good. We're we're likeable. Look at what we've done. And there's clearly just a lack of integrity in terms of what's going on. In fact, it's hypocrisy, isn't it? It's hypocrisy to do one thing but say another. 
Now you might say, wow, why has this, why did they die? <laughs> like, I don't know about you, when you read this passage, I think, actually I can think of times where I've said things that are opposite to what I do. And believe me, when you're a pastor of a church or a minister in a church, that pressure is on you all the time. The idea that you have to be a super Christian and everybody has to see that you've got it right. I'm particularly prone to these kind of things. So I read this with kind of fear and think, oh, what's going on here? What's going to happen? By the way, we're not super Christians. No way. And we struggle with these things, obviously, as well. But what's going on here? Well, actually, the reason this is dealt with so harshly is because of the hypocrisy involved and the way that it will affect the community and the church. Think about it. In verse 12, this is called... Sorry, sorry, verse 11, this is called the church. This is the very first use of the word ecclesia, church, in Acts. This is the only church in existence. Think of the hundreds and hundreds of churches now meeting around the world down through the ages. This is the only church in existence. Get this DNA wrong and you get the rest wrong. And we know how much hypocrisy affects the church, don't we? When Christians say one thing but do another. How many conversations have you had? I've had lots of conversations where people just say Christians are hypocrites. And they're usually right. A whole lot of damage is done to the church. And in this instance, that is what is being protected. This church is expanding and growing and the word of God is is being proclaimed forth as the pressure builds. We'll see it extend beyond Jerusalem and into the rest of the world. But at this point, it's so important that people are not being hypocrites because it will completely destroy the way the church works. If people remain as hypocrites, the whole community will be affected and will be a terrible example to other people around them. Now, you know, the New Testament's pretty big on these kind of things. It asks its leaders of the church to to actually take action when they see things are wrong. You might remember a passage in 2 Thessalonians. Take special note, chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. Take special note of anyone who does not obey the instruction of this letter. Do not associate with them in order that they may be feel ashamed. Yet do not regard them as the enemy, but warn them as you would a fellow believer. The point, of course, is that we need to continue to think about how we encourage one another to change, particularly when we're being sinful. Because hypocrisy can so deeply wound a church. Now, I've been in a couple of very difficult situations where I've had to do this. One church I was in, a woman, a beautiful uh, elderly missionary, actually, a retired missionary, came to me and said, there's this guy, he's growing in popularity in our church, but I want you to know, I don't think he believes Jesus was the Son of God. He believes in Jesus... But actually, he doesn't believe he was the son of God. 
And he's starting to gather people around him and encourage them to think that way. And so I, with her, went to speak to this man and sure enough, that was right. And we had to say, look, you cannot continue with us if you don't repent of this belief because you don't believe in the true and living God. Sadly, he moved on. Another instance where a man was committing adultery, it became really evident. And me and another guy went to meet with him and sat down with him and asked him to repent of his adultery. He refused to acknowledge it. He just disappeared. What's happening here is really important to the DNA of the church. Discipline is important to the DNA of the church because of the way it affects the community and the community reputation. And so can I give you tip number two? Tip number two. As a person captivated by Jesus Christ and living out his freedom, live with integrity. Live with integrity. Don't be a hypocrite, in other words. Live with integrity. It's another prayer. Please read it and we'll pray it together in a sec. invite you, if you're able, to say this prayer with me. O God, show me any habits of deception in my life. I now resent any lies I'm using to make others think I'm more spiritual than I really am. Cleanse me of my dishonesty and help me to walk in the light as you are in the light. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, that's not the only challenge this church is facing. The church is also facing persecution. Now, if you didn't hear Andrew's sermon last week, go online and listen to it. It was extremely challenging and very helpful in thinking about this uh, issue of persecution. Because once again here, as Andrew reminded us last week, in the face of persecution, people are asked to be bold. And that's exactly what takes place. The apostles as they continue, as they continue to minister, in fact, at at Solomon's Colonnade, where where we saw them uh, last week, they continue to minister and see many, many people come to them. But then in verse 17, we see they face persecution. The the high priests and all the associates who were members of the party of the Sadducees were filled with jealousy. They could see the impact that these guys were having. 3,000, then another 2,000 had been added to the number. 5,000 people are meeting, excited about the word of God, excited about what Jesus had done, excited about uh, the way he'd been transforming their lives, excited because the Holy Spirit had come to be amongst them. And they arrest the apostles and put them in a public jail. They want to stop them speaking. They don't want to see this spread any further. But during the night we read, an angel of the Lord comes and opens up the doors so they're able to escape. Now, actually, there's a bit of a sense of humour here. The Sadducees didn't believe in angels. And so the Sadducees who'd locked them away are actually learning that the angel of the Lord comes along and releases the apostles. 
And of course the apostles, then what do they do? They don't go home and get a good night's sleep and think, oh right, okay, well that, 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 that was pretty bad, wasn't it? Glad we escaped that. No, what do we find them doing? At daybreak, they're in the temple courts and they're proclaiming Jesus again. You can't stop them. They continue to proclaim. And of course, those who had arrested them, the Sadducees, are absolutely astounded. What are these men doing here? Look, the men who put in jail are standing in the temple courts teaching people. Anyway, they gather them back together again and they bring them into a court to be questioned before the Sanhedrin. And they say to them, there in verse 28, we gave you strict orders not to teach in this name and yet you filled Jerusalem with your teaching. It's clear. They've completely disobeyed the authorities. What does Peter say in verse 29? What we heard last week. We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and saviour, that he might give repentance and forgiveness of sins to Israel. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. They keep preaching the gospel. They keep preaching it not only to those who are gathered, but to those who have arrested them. It's an extraordinary boldness that they have here as they continue to think about and be impacted or captivated by Jesus Christ. Now there's, there's a, a little moment here where they actually get let off the hook. There was a sense in which they were going to be killed, martyred for their faith at this particular point in time. But in the end, all that happens is actually they're flogged. See there in verse 40? When I read that, I had to stop and think. It's kind of just like a, like a footnote, isn't it? But think about it. Flogged. That probably means that they received 39 lashes across their back. 39 lashes scarred for life in great pain and what happens the apostles leave the Sanhedrin rejoicing <laughs> rejoicing I'd be barely able to walk rejoicing because they'd been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name and then verse 42 day after day in the temple courts and from the house to house they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news of Jesus that Jesus is Christ it's extraordinary isn't it the Holy Spirit has given these apostles the gift of boldness they know who Jesus is they know what Jesus has done and they are unstoppable what it proves is that the belief in the resurrection makes you dangerous. If you believe that this isn't all that there is, that makes you dangerous. You're liable to do anything. You're liable to get really bold. And that's what happens here 
these people have been captivated by Jesus Christ. They're living out their freedom. They're saying, we know the authorities have said one thing, but we're going to do it something else because we're not accountable to men, we're accountable to God. And we want to live light in that freedom. Now, last week, uh, Andrew mentioned Margaret Rogers as an example of someone who'd lived like this. Uh, This week, on Tuesday, we will be conducting her funeral. As the week's gone on, I've spoken with the family and I've spoken with lots of different people about her life. And as I spoke to her herself, actually, in the time that she was with us, it became very clear to me that, yes, she had spoken boldly. She had punched above her weight, so to speak, because she was prepared to serve the Lord Jesus in the way that she did. But can I be honest with you? It left scars. She said to me one day, there are things I can't tell you that are just so painful for where I've been. I carry them around with me. She was someone who was bold. Tip number three. As a person who is captivated by Jesus Christ and living out his freedom, live boldly. Don't waste your life. Live boldly. Another prayer. invite you to say this with me. Our gracious Father, we thank you for the example of the apostles. As a wave upon wave of persecution came upon them, they obeyed your command to speak as those determined to obey God rather than men. Father, we pray that empowered by your spirit, we too may be captivated by Jesus Christ and boldly live out your freedom. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, persecution is not the only thing this church has been facing. They've been facing hypocrisy, persecution, and they also face burnout and division. Come with me to chapter 6 and those opening verses in in, in verse 1 through to 7. As the church had been increasing in numbers, it appears that there are some Grecian Jews and some Hebraic Jews Now, the way that it worked, it it appears as though some Grecian Jews had come back to Jerusalem. Uh, They'd been elsewhere. um, And many of them would have been older, as we understand. And actually, many of them would have probably been widows. They'd kind of returned home after being dispersed elsewhere. Now, in terms of the hierarchy, in terms of the way they were treated in general society, the Hebraic Jews kind of considered them as second class. They weren't the people who'd been in Jerusalem all the time. They'd sort of had to come back later. And so there's a bit of a class division here. Now in this church, as it gathered together, as they were united as one, as people were giving to one another, there's this division that starts to arise. And there's a concern that some of the widows are actually being overlooked. Now you can imagine the stresses of this church as it expands and lots of things happening and they're trying to look after a needy person. There's no social welfare system here. People are genuinely trying to help out one another. 
There's a division that's caused. And what could happen is people could become completely consumed with the needs of those in their congregation. But the apostles make an interesting decision. They recognise that if they spend all their time chasing the needs of those in their congregation, it may be, in verse 2, that the word, the ministry of the word might be compromised. It might be neglected if they spend all their time chasing those needs. Now, they're obviously recognising these needs are important because what they do then is they decide to appoint seven men from amongst them full of spirit and wisdom. Now, these are significant people. This is not a second-rate thing. Uh, For example, take one of the names that they choose, Stephen. He goes on to proclaim God's word and is actually stoned to death. These are significant people they've chosen amongst their church and they appoint them to leadership roles within their church. They delegate this responsibility to leaders in their church. I say I'm really encouraged with our wardens. Meg spoke tonight, but there's two others. There's Dav and Matt. Meg's kind of in charge at the moment of doing HR and looking after all our occupational health and safety things and looking after all the forms that go with that. It's a huge job. Dav is kind of responsible for maintenance over two properties. Uh, That takes all his time. Matt is trying to think about a master plan for our properties and where we're going to go in the future. Each of them could easily work up to eight hours a week just looking after these things. And it's a wonderful gift to us because it means that we can get on with the ministry of the word and make sure those things are not neglected, those important things. Now, of course, if you want to help them out, they'd love to hear from you. They need support, they need encouragement. Our parish council needs support and encouragement as it gets on with these very important ministries. But the model here is, it's important that the word of God, the ministry of the word, takes place. And we've got to do everything in our power as a church to ensure that the proclamation of the word goes out. Needs are real and they need to be met. And we need to care for one another and we need to pastor one another. That's why I'm also excited about our small group leaders because they so often pastor people in their small groups. Fantastic. I'm continuing to think about what this actually means for our church. I reckon we could do better at delegation. One of the challenges for ministers is they like to get involved in everything. They like to get involved because they love ministry and they want to be involved in all kinds of different places. But sometimes I think we need to delegate. And so we're, we're thinking about that at the moment. What does it mean for us to delegate in order that the word can be proclaimed and in order that we can continue to reach those in our local community? If you've got ideas, if you want to volunteer in some way, those communication cards have a list of things that we need help with. You've heard about some of the things we've talked about um, already tonight. PowerPoint person. That would equip us. That would help us. There's lots of things to be done. Can I encourage you to think about that? But can I also encourage you to think about the fact that as a church, as people together, we always have a role to play. And so I want to give you the fourth tip and the last tip for the evening. As a person captivated by Jesus Christ and living out his freedom, live a life that enables more gospel proclamation. 
If you walk into a church, this church, another church, any church, walk in saying, how can I enable more gospel proclamation in this place? Can I do it myself? Can I be involved somewhere so that I can see that happen? Never think of turning up to a church and saying, oh wow, I'm just going to sit here and wow, isn't this great? The lights are pretty. If you are captivated by the love of Jesus, you're called into his service in his church to enable the proclamation of his word. Can I encourage you to get involved? So let's pray our last prayer. Here it is here. Let's pray this prayer together. Our Father, we pray that when we see problems in our church life, you would first come to you and trust in your grace. Raise up leaders in our church who will serve you and others. Help us entrust ourselves to you so that you can use us as servants in the service of your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. So four tips we've had this evening. The four tips are... Tip one, a person captivated by the love of Jesus and living out his freedom will live generously. Secondly, they will live with integrity. Thirdly, they will live boldly. Fourthly, they will live a life that enables more proclamation of the gospel. Let me pray. Father God, we thank you and praise you for the privilege of coming to your word. We thank you for uh, the church that we see here in Acts. Father, may we continue to be a people who live in light of your grace towards us as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church Podcast. For more audio content and information about our church, please visit neac.com.au.